Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 372. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of FinTech Nexus. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Eric Ruckmel. He is the CEO and founder of Brace. Now, Brace is a super interesting company. They have focused on an area of the financial services space that has been relatively untouched by fintech, and that is loan mortgage servicing, in particular loss mitigation, where they've taken this niche that is highly complex and they have created a fintech solution for it. And, you know, they are operating now with some of the largest servicing companies in the country that have taken them on. We talk about what is wrong with servicing, what consumers actually want from their servicer, the biggest pain points that loan servicing companies have today. We talk about how their software works, how it's able to interface with some of these really old systems. Eric provides his thoughts on the big uh, Ice Black Knight deal that was announced just last month. And he talks about the, the fundraising process and much more. It was a fascinating episode. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thanks, Peter. Great to be here. Great to have you. So let's get started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. You've had an interesting career today. Can you give us some of the highlights? Yeah. So I started my career in financial technology investment banking kind of before that term was coined, which you've kind of obviously heard time and time over over the last few years, but started my career kind of out of the last recession, um, working with a group called FT Partners dedicated to the practice of financial technology. So I spent a few years there working on some really interesting transactions, just getting a broader understanding of the financial services, financial early days, financial technology, I would say, ecosystem. And kind of from there, after spending some time with those guys, I uh, ended up with uh, the venture capital kind of growth secondary firm, um, Industry Adventures. Have some like kind of wild successes now since I've been there, but I spent about four and a half years with them investing both directly in secondaries, but largely in the technology ecosystem. So they're a multi-billion dollar kind of early stage all the way through pre-IPO investment firm and really got a better understanding of what it takes in both the early and growth stages in the technology ecosystem, but more generalists. So that's where you know I took some of the more financial technology practice and broadened my horizon to really looking at businesses from enterprise software consumer businesses kind of runs the gamut. Spent, like I said, a number of years there, at which point I had the opportunity to kind of join a group that was spinning out of BBVA called Propel Venture Partners. And so that was around 2016 timeframe, 2015 timeframe. And so really joined that group when they were, you know, throughout that process and when they actually were successful in creating kind of an external venture fund and asked me to join them. And so, you know, from there, our mandate was we had a a few hundred million dollar first fund, which is really you know unusual, particularly back you know six seven years ago. And it was the mandate was to invest in financial technology. So bringing back to the fact that you know I was always interested in this kind of landscape ecosystem, really seeing things start to inflect for those kind of the newer fintech players around that 2015 timeframe brought me to this group and spent you know some time really investing in the broader ecosystem, and so. 
really wanted to get more exposure to the earlier asset class. I should say Propel was really focused on that Series A seed, even Series B startup. So a little bit earlier than industry ventures and where they get started. So I had more exposure there. And that's kind of what brought me to kind of current day, actually, Grace, but historically more of the investment banking, traditional venture capital route to get me here. Those are three fantastic names to learn about the industry. I mean, FT Partners, obviously now, Steve McLaughlin's a legend in this industry and uh, can't imagine a better person to learn about the ins and outs of uh, fintech than him. So anyway, so let's maybe talk about the founding story of Brace. What do you see that led you to start the company? So we started the company in 2017, and it was largely from doing some of that independent discovery work from a number of parallel business processes and opportunities. So in 2016, from again, working more on the venture ecosystem, I had the opportunity to look at mortgage tech companies. And there were some really interesting ones because obviously coming out of the last crisis, which was largely driven by mortgage, you had a lot of hesitation. That said, there was also a lot of interesting opportunities and companies that were coming out thinking, how can we reset and redo the existing kind of technology frameworks, operating frameworks? And so... They were really all focused on, at the time, the front-end technologies. And you're still seeing that largely today. And so with that said, I also met with other groups kind of more focused on the consumer loan servicing space. And that's really where my wheels started turning. You know, I was starting to dig into not only like this massive opportunity in the servicing space, but this really large opportunity in mortgage. And obviously with mortgage servicing, that's where it was like, okay, an aha moment came where it was like, this is the largest asset class for the servicing, right? So this isn't student, this isn't consumer, this is multiples larger, and it's multiples more complex than those two asset classes. And going back to the fact, what I was seeing on the landscape was everyone was so focused on origination, the servicing asset was left behind. And so really, at early 2017, I had enough conviction at that point to at least let myself go and explore operating here. So I moved away from the Bay Area, I, was, I should say I was in the Bay Area working this whole time, moved down to Los Angeles, moved in with my folks, typical like founder story, trying to figure out how we're going to get this one off the ground. And so I really started working on the idea full-time early 2017 and met with countless executives, whether it be I knew them from my you know, historical life from a venture banker or just cold emailing, right? Or cold LinkedIn, like that. Like, you know, that's just the, the stuff you have to do early on and just understanding this whole space, right? The mortgage servicing space is massive. The technology behind it is really large. How do you get started? And where do you get started? And what is the play? Do you build an operating company? Do you build a technology company? So I spent almost all of 2017 just on my own, looking through all the different areas, understanding all the different, very interesting facets of mortgage servicing. And by the end of that kind of year, I had enough conviction as to where to start. And that was really on the default servicing side and realizing a lot, if not all the, the really enterprise value was baked into the software and infrastructure. And if you can make a really large improvement here, it would be very important. So that was you know late 2017, started kind of building the team out in early 2018 and phrased our first institutional round at that point. Yeah, but the original thesis was we need to build better infrastructure. Middleware wasn't going to cut it in this space. And candidly, the hardest place to start would be in loss mitigation. But it was the picks and shovels needed to build for the industry to provide that true ROI. And so really haven't kind of pivoted from there and really just stuck to our, our thesis of let's start with loss and expand from there. 
Right, right. Well, we'll dig into that in a little bit. But before we do, I want to take a step back and talk about the mortgage servicing space in general. I mean, I, I've taken out a probably got too many home loans, probably three or four home loans <laughs> over my over the last a couple of decades. The servicing piece is it's never simple. It feels broken to me in many aspects. That and it just doesn't feel like there's been a, a fintech kind of play on that side. I mean, why do you think there's been such little innovation? in mortgage servicing? So first off, it's it's a really tough business historically. This isn't the revenue side of the business when you think about. So when you think about originations, where they make a fee off, you know, getting potential homeowner to transact, whether that be from the title side and just the actual loan origination side, but largely the servicing piece, it's a fixed fee business and it's highly regulated. So there isn't a ton of folks waking up and thinking, I really want to endure the pain of figuring out how the heck to fix and innovate here for this part of the, like the housing market. And there was lower hanging fruit earlier on on the origination side. And so with that said, and with the complexity, you know, it's, it's highly complex. And so it's not necessarily in the traditional sense of saying, okay, how do I build a reusable rocket, for example, but in the sense that you have to rebuild the tech stack in mortgage servicing is you need a significant amount of capital. And so that's changed somewhat with the recent influx of capital to some of these more antiquated um, businesses. And to make any inroads here, you need to be highly understanding of the rules and regulation to consider when you're developing this software. You have these existing companies in this space, two very large ones, one that has close to 70 to 80% of the market. You're talking about 50, 60-year-old businesses built on mainframe COBOL systems, largely just left alone. And they have huge market pull and long-standing relationships. So the breadth of these solutions are fairly large and it takes a team to be patient here because in order to be successful, there are no shortcuts. And so you have to have a dedicated team that are willing to work on these projects for years, if not decades, to be successful in this market. Right, right. Okay, so then let's talk about the typical mortgage servicer today and how do they operate? And maybe particularly when it comes to loss mitigation, what sort of is their standard operating procedure? Yeah, so I'll start with how they operate just largely and then dive into loss mid. So mortgage servicers have a whole host of kind of roles they need to play. Keep in mind that this is an industry and a unique market where consumers have no ability to choose who services their loan. So in that in itself is kind of unique to itself. But to start, they're responsible for loans that are transferred from other servicers, which is a pain point in itself. But the day-to-day processes are anything from loan payments, responding to homeowner inquiries, keeping track of the principal, the interest paid, and remitting those payments to investors, the tax authorities, insurers, and other escrow accounts, and maintaining those escrow accounts, I should say. And then more particularly on the default side, where we play in loss mitigation, if the homeowner finds themselves falling behind in payments, the servicer's role is to work with the homeowner and get them back on track. That's where we come into play. And so they're responsible for activities such as collections, loss mitigation, and then as well as foreclosure activities that take place uh, if loss mitigation is not successful. And really, a lot of this is very reactive and not proactive business opportunities. And so we are actually pushing actively for better KPIs aligned with more of that support, proactive activities. And it's something that we've been championing here in building software to gather kind of support for that proactive versus reactive approach that you're seeing today. This has happened to me twice now where my... I was very happy with the service or everything was going well. Then it was sold to another company 
and suddenly this new company. And again, it's frustrating from a borrower's perspective. You've got no say. I almost want to say, no, I don't want to be sold. I want to maintain the same relationship, but you have no choice. I can't think of any other service other than a government service where you have no choice like this. And so I feel like it can be frustrating. And I imagine other pain points for services. I mean, how do they deal with these frustrated customers? Well, as you see, they're usually not the the most friendly folks on Yelp when they get in there. And you can imagine, you know, this is the, your life's biggest asset. And so the value proposition we create is not only should you support them in the performing side when everything is going well, and guess what? Like things do go wrong, right? I'm sure, they, you know, not only from a loan boarding perspective, when you get transferred, right? And you have to deal with providing new payments, auto enroll, right? To kind of problems with your escrow. And that happens time and time again. But imagine, you know, at the point in which you can no longer make your payment and you don't have the support of your servicer, that's where things get really tricky. And folks aren't necessarily experts into what the heck happens here. And so that's where we're really helping support the ecosystem and community because it's not just about supporting those homeowners in times of good, but also in times of need, particularly in light of recent events with COVID. We're also looking down, you know, a potential recessionary event now. And so, you know, that's where we're seeing the market move now. We're actually seeing a lot of interesting uptick in thoughtfulness around infrastructure and the move to digital where you've seen that historically, you haven't seen that in servicing and they're, they're coming around very quickly now. Right, right. So maybe we can dig into exactly what you offer and, and how it works. Because I mean, you're not requiring these existing mortgage services to move like cold turkey to a new system, right? So explain exactly how it works. So we started and continued to refine and define the loss mitigation market, I should say, as something in which this is the most difficult area of the whole servicing process. So historically large incumbents in this space have generally failed to deliver here. And the point solutions were just not, they were stale and nothing was happening. So what we did is to remove the need for servicers to jump from one screen to another, we took an all-in-one holistic solution approach to the problem and removed disparate legacy solutions from the equations. So as you can imagine, this was not going back to the, you have to find folks that are really willing to go on that journey with you. This took a number of years to develop. So we offer, you know, a white glove kind of solution here. So it's white labeled. So the homeowners never know we exist. And you see the similar traits with point of sale solutions on the origination side. And we power those digital solutions if a homeowner cannot make that payment. That's only part of the solution. It's only, you know, the point of sale per se for loss mitigation is interesting, but it's not the end all be all. And it doesn't solve a lot of the issues that servicers face today. So we couple that digital kind of offering with a task based system, which automates a lot of the workflow that needs to happen in order to remediate and actually offer a loss mitigation decision. And so we had to build not only the digital offering, we built kind of a workflow automation platform, but at the same time, we also had to build those waterfalls into that decisioning engine. So it's really a point of sale system and automation system on top of an, a loan origination type of system, but in the context of loss mitigation. And so we had to develop that over a number of years, and it really allows you to provide an end-to-end solution, not only online, but keep in mind, we also have APIs and integrations for offline support. Not everyone is going to go online. So we encapsulate you know, some of those folks that are more digitally native and willing to say, okay, I want to just go online and solve this, but also the folks that are more old school and want really that heavy touch. And so we provide a solution for all that 
you know, really all this kind of coalesces around this race 2.0 launch. We actually launched this and started talking about this to the public last year, or sorry, last month, I should say, which was the evolution of our platform. You know, it was again, years of hard work and learning and greater focus on the employee tasking and, and a great, you know, large focus on compliance as well. Okay, so maybe can we just take us through an example of, you know, say you're working with a servicer who has a homeowner who has skipped some payments and is having a real hard time. Well, how does it look when they're using your software versus just one of the plain vanilla old traditional services? Without us, there are a number still of large mortgage servicers that don't have any ability to transact and support the consumer online. So you can't make your mortgage payment. You missed a payment or two. And they send you a packet in the mail with a bunch of mortgage jargon that basically says, we need a bunch of information and please send us this. But you really don't know why you're sending the information. You have no idea. There's no user guide, right? You're Hopefully, this is your first time. Even if this has happened multiple times, it's just it's a confusing process and you can't transact digitally. So with us, it goes back to we know based on rules and requirements so if you're a Fannie borrower, a FHA borrower, an independent kind of non-QM borrower, what kind of solutions are potentially out there for you? So from a digitally native perspective, you log into your bank's website or non-bank's website, you click for support and help for loss mitigation, and it launches our application uh, natively. Again, you don't know we exist, but we then know who you are and we ask tailored questions as to what do we need to do to get you to the, the decision that is best for you quickly. And so we have an intuitive user experience there on the front end, which allows you to data collect. And that's really important for the servicers. A lot of the pain points here are back and forth from submitting the wrong pay stubs to not submitting pay stubs at all, to not understanding, let's say you're going through a divorce and you need a divorce decree. Like what are the certain documentations and what are the outcomes involved and where we are in the process right now? Now, historically, without using Brace's solutions, it's very opaque. You don't know where you are. You don't know what you need. And you're kind of stuck here, just hoping that there's support there at the end of the finish line. And so with us, you take all that information from that homeowner. We then understand what we need from that system of record to really figure out what tasks need to be performed on a loan-by-loan -loan basis. And historically, what's happened, it's very linear. Uh, it's not a multiple hands-on a loan file at once. And so there's really large delays there. And so what we do is we offer a compliant-friendly solution so that you can have multiple folks that are actually skilled at that task, handle that loan at once, and then remediate that decision. Because again, if a homeowner needs to collect all this information to be evaluated, then we can run it through our proprietary rules engine, which then spits out a result that you can then go to the homeowner back to, whether it be a modification, whether it be you know more of a streamlined approach or option. But we have the ability to not only do a lot of that kind of custom workflow, but also are responsible for the underwriting decisions itself. Right, right. Okay. Okay. And I imagine that your, your system, like there's obviously a lot of mortgage services out there. I don't know how many, but there's plenty. And, and are you, like, maybe you could just tell us about the industry. Are you focus just on the really largest mortgage services or, I mean, I presume there are some mom and pop services as well, but tell us a little bit about who you're focused on. There are, and this is more of the reason why it's harder to get into mortgage servicing than maybe the lending space where you have, you know, thousands of lenders out there. You have a massive consolidation in servicing. Lots of reasons why largely regulatory, just standing up systems are really expensive, but we're talking about the top 10 largest servicers 
make up well over 50% of that market. And so historically, yes, we do work across smaller to larger servicers. We are working with two of the top 10 servicers at this point, but our strong product market fit here that we have found over the last few years has been with those larger top 10, top 20 servicers. That said, we can't support longer tail, but there just aren't that many. It really is that 80-20 rule of folks you know, servicing at the high end. We're talking about two of the largest institutions in the country, services over $2 trillion of the you know, close to $12 trillion outstanding today. So we're, we're really focused on moving that market and getting the software into the hands to as many consumers as possible to help. You're working in tandem with these servicing companies, right? At least in the short term, I imagine. You're not looking to replace them. But so how does it work? How do you interface with a, a green screen COBOL system that was developed in the 80s? Yeah, so we built Grace kind of with that vision of becoming that core infrastructure for all servicing activities. So as such, we've taken the approach of creating you know, a solid, secure platform to be able to manage kind of modular applications and integrations for any of the tools that are required. So whether that be we integrate well into their consumer applications, but as well as the internal infrastructure that they have in place today. Right now, at this point, we, we built this modularly and we know what data we need from that servicer and when, which is oftentimes from that system of record, from that COBOL system. But it makes the integration much easier because of the fact that we have been around long enough to understand what it takes to integrate and or work with the data that needs to be extracted from that mortgage servicing system. You know, we have a team that comes from broadly larger tech, as you can imagine. But we also early on understood compliance was very key here. So we brought some folks that understand compliance from in the industry. We also brought some executives that ran loss mitigation on our team early on. That really kind of helped support the strategic initiatives to understand what does it take to get it done at these large mortgage servicing stops, not only from a deployment of our solution, but the integrations that need to take place to be successful here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to talk about a survey you guys did. I was reading about this when I was researching for this interview. And you did a survey of consumers earlier this year, and you found out some interesting things. Can you just take us through some of the highlights of what you found out? And I appreciate you mentioning this. We put a lot of good work into really kind of understanding not only you know our customer, which is the servicer, but really those homeowners. And for us to be impactful, make a difference here, it's understanding that consumer behavior we spend, continue to spend and did spend a lot of time really thinking about how we can make this process better for that homeowner. You know, I don't think some of this will be shocking, but in general, 60% of people were actually too embarrassed to speak with their friends about their financial situation. And 30% are too embarrassed to even speak to their servicer. They couldn't pay their mortgage. So just understanding back to the default side of like the heuristics of this is an embarrassing process for oftentimes people. And so do you really want to go and talk to someone about this at a call center that you don't know? Or do you want to do this more blind? So that was one of the takeaways there. Interestingly enough, that 43% of consumers think that digital is more secure than paper. So you're starting to see that real adoption curve here. And 50% want to use digital, but it's not provided as a source for most servicers. What was kind of one of the more interesting takeaways, though, is the older the homeowner is, the more likely they need less one-on-one help with their mortgage servicer and want to use digital channels. Whereas 48% of millennials has asked their servicers for help, whereas only 30% of boomers 
that could be related to the fact they're new homeowners. And so they have more questions, as you can imagine, whereas the older population have gone through this process before. Lastly, you know, one of the things you probably can imagine is going back to the offline approach, just some of the folks that are more old school, you have 5% of people still traveling to your bank grants to pay their monthly mortgage in 2022. Oh God, that's amazing. You have to service those customers. So it's not just about ACH and innovative ways from a payments perspective. You really do have to be all encompassing when you're talking about servicing the broader US population. I hope that 5% uh, continues to go down. I imagine it will. It's still, it's very expensive to service people face-to-face when you can do it online. Yeah. Okay. So I also want to talk about this announcement that came out last month and uh, Intercontinental Exchange, ICE, wants to acquire Black Knight for $13 billion. And uh, obviously it's got to get approved by the Justice Department, because uh, I think these are two very large mortgage services. I'd love to get your take on what, when you read that, what did you think? It's obviously huge news for this industry, and it's generally highly important to the entire housing economy. These are two of the largest players by leaps and bounds in both the origination space and the servicing space. And LEA was acquired for north of ten billion from ICE over the last, you know, I think it was two years ago. So you're talking about, you know, twenty-five plus billion dollars of enterprise value from an acquisition perspective, just in this kind of origination services space. So it goes back to this the validity of how large these opportunities and how large this space is. You know, it's really no surprise right now, as you mentioned, from a public market's point of view, it's you know, it's trading at a significant discount to the purchase price discussed. And it's largely due to the fact folks are still waiting to see if this passes that you know anti-monopoly muster. So that will be interesting to see how this plays out throughout the end of the year. But from an innovation perspective, you know, we think it's a good thing. You know, it'll be interesting to see how they both independently and separately together continue to view new entrants, such as ourselves, as, as friend or foe. Integrating these two large companies is going to be a heck of a job, as you can imagine from an MA perspective. And so it allows new entrants such as ourselves to continue to innovate without these distractions and just really focus and double down on value creation with our customers. You know, and from like a customer perspective, you know, we're certainly hearing their customers as well as our customers with general uncertainty, which, you know, no one likes general uncertainty. And so we're just really here to support and fill in where we can to be those best in class partners. But, you know, we do respect both of those large organizations. They built really large, meaningful businesses here. It'll be exciting to see kind of how that plays out and if and when they can get that transaction done, what it means for the future of the housing ecosystem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure. So then um, I want to go back to, I want to talk about the fundraising process for you because you're, you're a little different to the typical fintech CEO insofar as you've been on the other side of the table on the VC side. And how was it for you? And what did you kind of use as far as your background, um, apart from obviously contacts, but how did you use that knowledge that you developed as a VC in your fundraising process for Brace? Candidly, it was difficult early on as we were the first mover in the mortgage services space. So education was key here. Again, going back to lots of knowledge, capital, on the origination side, but very few, if any, traditional VC firms. Now, private equity has been in the space for a while, but venture capital, early stage venture capital firms understanding this. So, you know, we had a strong, you know, a few strong supporters early on, which really helped us get to that series A, series then B kind of framework. But I will say, yeah, the, the early days were more tough because it was just trying to understand not only from a vision perspective, what could you do in the interim in the near term? to get the business off the ground. 
in meaningful ways and having that support structure where, you know, again, going back to the, this isn't an overnight success, you're going to have to put, you know, a significant amount of R&D capital up front to really see that enterprise value on the back half of that. And so just really using my background and understanding as to how do you tell that story and also how do you kind of get to market in meaningful ways and build the right partnerships and ecosystem play here. So we were able to do that. It wasn't easy, I would say, if I'm being honest, but certainly, you know, we're happy to be on the other side of that, seeing validation from working with some of the larger lender servicers in the country now. You know, even going forward, you know, there's been a lot of chatter around the end of this bull run and largely tech and in general fintech. Mm-hmm. But in our space, you know, we weren't this sexy, overfunded right. kind of company. This was always going to be a blocking and tackling business over the course of cycles. And so while we definitely took advantage of some of the capital that was available early on, you know, we have limited competition from a new player entries. We do have a few. We were the first, like I said, back in 2017 to tackle this space, but a few have come in. And generally, because of how t- challenging it is, we play very nicely with these folks. And we you know we're we're almost pseudo partners I'm here. And it's good to see that. And folks are starting to get, and I say folks, VCs are starting to understand the value proposition here and wanting to be involved. So it's going to be a long, rewarding journey. And we found some really strong partners thus far and you know, excited to kind of see what's next. Right. So I'd love to kind of get perspective on how your business does, because you're focused on loss mitigation for the most part. So in a downturn, do you think you're going to have easier conversations to kind of bring your solution on board? Or, I mean, obviously we've been through the pandemic, which was really unusual with, you know, foreclosure moratoriums and all that sort of thing. But what are your thoughts on downturn and sort of the the way that people approach solutions like yours? There's two sides of this. One is the general excitement and or just understanding that servicing is now more attractive. So over the last few years, origination, it's counter cyclical of when an origination boom and rates drop because the MSR, the servicing right, as you can imagine, you keep refining out, it's not very valuable to that servicer. Whereas now you're looking at rates continuing to rise. So servicing assets themselves are more attractive. So servicing is now taking a massive spotlight. And it's actually where you're seeing you know, there's been a significant amount of pain for these originators and the folks that are originating and servicing are the ones that are doing the best right now from a financial performance perspective. So in general, from a surely servicing perspective, servicing is now a hot topic. It's something in which a lot of lenders are starting to make significant inroads and traction and seeing their performance rely on the servicing asset. From a loss mitigation perspective, yes. So we saw a lot of folks with COVID kind of taking a step back into March of 2020, rushing to us and really trying to have us solve solutions and to be successful there. And now we're seeing that kind of actually happen again. As there's another wave as recently as in the last two quarters where this hesitation as to where the economy is going is allowing them also some time to actually be thoughtful here. In that COVID crisis, I should say, it was challenging because... It happened so quickly. That's hard to stand up enterprise solution that quickly with a ton of different folks. And so we were very selective at that point. Now there's time to prepare and there's you know enough folks that have been around this to understand given the landscape, given kind of where we're going, we need to be prepared and we need to not just solve this with people and processes, but how does technology fit into this entire formula? And so that's been a new development, I would say over the last, particularly last three months, but really over the last six months where folks are coming to us proactively and saying, okay, now is the time to go and stand up 
newer solutions that can help with potential rising delinquency rates into 2022, 2023, 2024 timeframes. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So last question then, what are you working on now that's coming down the pipe? What's next for Brace? We're certainly going to double down with our existing customers and getting our software into the hands of servicers that we can help today. Going back to the go-to-market approach, right? We are focused on right now some of the mid to larger servicers. And the vision's massive, right? We want to build an end-to-end really experience here from, from performing to non-performing to really manage the life cycle of servicing. From just what we can provide today, we built some really compelling technology that has proven ROI and proven benefit. So we're going from that kind of startup phase to growth phase now. It's certainly exciting. So we're really you know, excited to just be able to prove that there's a better way to do loss mitigation, continue to expand that market, and then enjoying the opportunities to grow alongside our current customers today. And then you know, with a strong pipeline, really hopeful to see this kind of broader adoption throughout the entire asset class. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll have to leave it there, Eric. Good luck. And uh, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. You know, I don't think anyone would call mortgage servicing a sexy business, but what Eric just said, I think cemented in my mind too, it's so necessary. These infrastructure type plays like Brace are so critical and they are ones that are going to really stand the test of time. I think, you know, we were just chatting after we stopped recording that we're going into a challenging fundraising cycle uh, right now. And, you know, we just heard that with Matt Harris on my last episode, but you know he talks about how that you know, some of these companies are not going to be able to raise money. So, at certainly anywhere close to the valuation that they were at before. Whereas, you know, these companies like Brace, this sort of pick and shovels type companies, the infrastructure are going to continue to do well, and they're not going to have to suffer some of the the negative consequences that the high flying fintechs. Um, will be suffering over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. We've already seen some of it already. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.